there, I'm Andrea Koppel, and it's time for coffee, the podcast where you get to hear firsthand what the jobs and careers that interest you the most are really like. Hey there, Java junkies. Welcome back to another episode of T4C. If you want to be a journalist, or if you're curious what it's like to start a multimedia services company, then my next guest is definitely someone you're going to want to stay to listen to. But first, I want to make sure you have signed up for the Java Junkies Journal. That's T4C's weekly newsletter that comes out on Mondays and gives you an exclusive peek inside that week's episodes and the professionals we're going to be featuring. Just head over to the Time for Coffee website at Time the number 4coffee.org, and the sign-up box is right there on the homepage. Now, my macchiato-loving multimedia friends, please grab your mug and take a chug of your favorite caffeinated beverage, because it's time for another caffeinated career conversation. And my guest is self-described multimedia maven, Nikki Mayo, who started and runs the eponymous Nikki Mayo News, and is a full-time communications strategist, along with many other hats she wears. Nikki also recently served as the very first digital editor for the Philadelphia Tribune's phillytrib.com website and various social media accounts. She's also been a political analyst and a contributor on Philadelphia's 900 AM WURD reality check with Charles Ellison. Nikki has worked in newsrooms all over the United States, including working in D.C. for three years as a national correspondent for the Associated Press Network, covering breaking news and as a member of the AP's race and ethnicity team. Nikki, welcome to Time for Coffee. Are you caffeinated and ready to go? I am. I am. I have my tea here, though. You don't have to say though, unless it is a kind of decaffeinated oh, tea. Oh no, it's still caffeinated. All right, then we are <laughs> we are all good. Nikki, I wanted to start by sharing with our young listeners how we met because it's kind of a, an unusual way for me to meet folks. I was searching on the website. I was kind of looking up professionals in various fields. And I came across your profile one day on LinkedIn. And I was so impressed with your wealth and breadth of experience and your obvious hustle to go out and build the kind of career that you want to have as a multimedia journalist that I ended up inviting you to join me and nine other professionals in April 2019 at the University of Maryland for the very first Time for Coffee Caffeinated Career Mini Summit. And I want our listeners to know that you were without question the star of the show, Nikki. And there Aww. were some, and I mean that, there were some very impressive professionals on your panel in particular, but without a doubt, you really stole the show. And oh. I say that as a kind of a preamble for our young listeners that you are really someone that they need to listen to because you have seen a lot in your career, even though you're not anywhere near as old as I am, but you've got a ton of wisdom. So thank you so much for coming on the show, Nikki. Thank you so much. And I love that panel, by the way. I had a good time. I keep watching the video from the Facebook Live. 
Yeah, well, honestly, they should check out, and I'll, I'll include the link to that as well, and in particular to Nikki's segment. And I thought maybe we could begin with a quick 101, a quick explainer for those who may not be familiar with the job title, multimedia journalist, what that means. Sure. Typically with MMJ or multimedia journalist in the TV world, it meant the person that had a backpack full of camera gear and they had to go out, do a story, then clean themselves up and look good in front of the camera. And you never realize that they did everything. That's been the majority of my career, whether it be in television or on radio. And then I had to also parlay it into an online career as early as 2007. So I have had to see every aspect of our news gathering and how we get the information out there that by the time I got to this point, I'm not even 40 yet. And I'm sitting here saying I'm a multimedia journalist because I don't want to limit myself. I know how to tell the story and I know which tool to bring out to tell it best whether it be television, radio, online, or a mixture of all of these. I don't know if you coined this descriptor, mm-hmm. but you call it entrepreneurial journalism. What okay. is entrepreneurial journalism? Okay, I definitely didn't coin that phrase. I've heard it used a couple of times and the way that I interpret it is there's so many stories out there that you want to tell. And we all know how it goes at the either budget meeting or news meeting assignment meeting, whatever you want to call it, where you have to throw the stories out there, say this is what I want to cover, and then pray to God that you get some buy-in from your managers. Well, at this point in my career, I am now a manager. I am now deciding what am I going to cover and finding ways to get that funded. So if I want to go and do anything from a documentary, a podcast series, if there's some topic that I really want to flesh out, learning that there's grant money out there to do particular types of stories, there's a documentary grant money out there in particular, but also a chance for you to tell the stories you always want to tell as long as you're not breaking like ethical practices. So for me, I specialize with Nikki Mayo News, LLC, which is my company. I, on the side, specialize in telling stories from the small guy, from the mom and pop shops, the civic organizations, the faith-based groups, the everyday stories that they always were calling the TV stations and the radio stations and asking us to come out and cover them. And we were like, oh, we don't have the crews for it. Well, you know what? Now I am the crew and I do have the time for it. I give them the story about what they're doing and use it however they want to, because we are in the age digital and social media videos are king. So you might as well go ahead and tell a happy, feel good story and give it to the client and they pay me for it. So they have it. There you go. So it's not going to appear on like your local ABC, NBC, CBS, Fox affiliates, but that's what they're asking for. The clients want that coverage. They can't get that coverage. I like telling feel-good stories because I've been telling enough death, injury, and destruction all my career. I finally have a chance to tell the stories I want to, and I can turn a profit at the same time. And these are not stories that conflict with what we typically cover anyway. If you have a conflict, then you, you can't do it. Absolutely. So let's go back to something you said at the beginning of your mm-hmm. answer to that question. And it mm-hmm. had to do with that there is grant money out there for some of these documentaries. I can imagine some of our young listeners are saying, where, where can I go look for that kind of grant money? Well, that's where the journalist in them has to jump up and start with a Google search and go deeper than that. If you want to do something on science and environmental, like STEM is big, but environmental studies are huge. So there's money out there to do stories on everything from the rising shoreline, parts of Maryland and parts of Florida are going to be underwater in about 10 years. There is money for those type of stories to get out there. Sadly, with contamination led by lead pipes and the likes for old infrastructure, 
there are different agencies that they want someone to finally tell their story outside of a short news story. That's what that documentary or short doc, that's where that money comes from. Are these agencies that are asking people, please come and tell our story. Now, typically we're going to get somebody to pitch you a story. Yeah, they want your news organization to do it. But if you're venturing into entrepreneurial, which means that you are the boss and you are looking for grant money, then you got to start researching topics and seeing who will pay you to cover this. And it's not always a video thing. I'm just going from my point of view. They want in-depth magazine pieces. You may not write full time for The Atlantic, but you can get some money to write for The Atlantic for this type of a thing. You just have to know how to pitch a story. Typically, I think freelancer is a phrase that's used interchangeably with entrepreneurial journalism, but freelancers tend to already have assignments signed to them. What I'm suggesting is start making the story pitches for what you really want to cover yourself, things that you're passionate about, and there's probably somebody who will pay to do it. So can you give us an example? You rattled off a variety of outlets or audiences that you feel more inclined to cover, whether you said the small mom, pop shops, the civic groups, faith-based organizations. So how have you gotten to do the kind of stories you want to do and get paid for that work? For me, it came from my proverbial, it came from my contacts. These are people who would always see me out in stories and were always pitching me these stories so that once I became independent, I was like, well, you know that story you were always asking me to do and I couldn't do it because my boss kept shooting it down. I love to do it now. So those were my contacts. That comes from networking. That comes from actually working as well, too. So you can't discount the fact that you needed to be visible. You can't just be sitting in your basement somewhere and asking people like, well, why don't you have me cover your story? They don't know you. There's a lot of networking involved in that because they need to know you as a reliable news source. My name, believe it or not, carries a lot of weight. So if I cover your stuff, people are like, oh, word, okay, it's a real story. Yeah, it's a real deep story that you need to know. So if you don't have a good 20 years to line your reputation, then you need to get into a circle where you can be amongst those who do have a reputation, ties, and then you start showing your work. You showcase it online. You showcase it on your website. That's your digital storefront. Let it be known that you are a viable news source and that they should allow you to tell their stories. So Nikki, the way you have kind of pivoted your career from being assigned stories to now dictating what stories you will cover. Do Mm -hmm. you think that it's possible for a young person to leapfrog that first phase where they are working in newsrooms? Do you even think it's wise for them to do that? Or do Mm. you think that they should just go right into the doing it themselves? What is your recommendation? I think they should do it simultaneously. That way you get some fundamentals there. I did advise one student that I'm mentoring right now. You know, the phrase right now is do anything for clout. So in this mindset, yes, go traditional so that you can get the fundamentals, but frankly, so that you can get the the sign off, the little check that says, yes, this person has experience in an established news organization. But while you're doing that, there's nothing keeping you from also making material that can be seen, heard, whatever, on your own, again, your digital storefront, on your website. I really don't like the idea of like killing off that creativity that you're going to naturally have fresh out of school. So why not do something with it? Just kind of keep it, you know, so that you don't lose the job that pays you some money. Because the idea is to make your passion profitable. And you could probably do that a lot faster Seriously, like a lot faster than people have done it in the past. Now, for me, I didn't venture out until I got to being a national correspondent for a good five years. But 
you could really venture out once you get the fundamentals and some call letters or some masthead name behind you and then be like, okay, that was great. So there's my little clout. Now go and like, you know, get your destiny on. Yeah. Be creative, <laughs> you know, go, go do the darn thing. I love how you describe that because basically what it sounds like you're advising young people to do is to start building their brand day one. Day one. Seriously. Yeah. And to take that opportunity to network through that established legacy mm-hmm. newsroom, whatever that is, as a way to expand their brand into the communities or the whatever their beat is and Very leverage that then for their side hustle, which may eventually become their main hustle. Yeah. I mean, the reality of these companies is that at least what I have seen since 2001, so I'm putting it right there to date myself, is that there is little to no loyalty when it comes to these companies. So you're sitting there working yourself tooth and nail for a company that will probably turn you over within two to three years. So what I'm offering is go be a good doobie, do your job for two to three years. But while you're doing that, please be on the side feeding into what it is that is your brand, because they will call you into a room one day and they will say, we're sorry, but we need to exercise the outs in your contract effective immediately. And you'll be out. And your whole identity was hinging on one entity, something exterior from yourself. I'm arguing build up who it is that you are so that that product follows you. So that your name recognition alone is what gets you people call. Like I have people calling me and saying, I want you to cover me. And they don't even know who I freelance for. They just want me to cover them. That's what you're trying to get to is to having people saying like, hey, can you come out and shoot my story? I'm like, for which one? Like I cover politics. Do you know how many people hit me up for features? I cover politics. That's why I don't take on political clients. They're like, well, I know how you do stories, though. Could you come and tell mine? I mean, I can do it on the side and then they can take this photo, this video, whatever they want. They can take it and go on with it. But I like that leverage, that fact that people are like, you tell a sound story that you had the foundations of journalism down. I don't question your ability to do this. And I don't question the angle you'll take with my story either. They're giving you that free range. And then they're going to pay you to do it too. I'm like, wow, okay, that's deep. Yeah. I like having those two things. I, by the way, I never get paid to do any political reporting. I never do any stories for any politicians just to kind of keep myself clean on that side. But if it's like I have a basketball player who used to be part of a national organization for basketball, not, but not the NBA, And he was like, he wants to tell his story. Okay, fine. So I'll go and shoot that and I'll tell his story. And I feel that we need to tell more of these. Create your own lane. So part of your lane, in addition to building your brand, your Nikki Mayo News, is the side hustle that you've also got going right now as a federal contractor covering STEM topics. How do you kind of manage your time? Is that a full-time gig? How do you do that along with some of the freelance reporting you do for some of the TV One shows that I mentioned in the introduction? Mm -hmm. How do you manage your time? I have a huge dry erase calendar. I seriously do. And I try to make sure I have at least two free weekends every month. So once I say yes to two projects, that's it. And I I try to keep it down to that. Right now, me as an LLC, this is a side thing. It's not my full-time thing because I want to have some sanity space too. (laughs) So I like to keep my life balanced enough. So there's space for a gym, there's space for a spa, there's space for lollygagging with my girlfriends and having dates and stuff. So I want to make sure I have that type of a balance in my life. 
Some people go really hard in the paint. They're like, I'm going to do this every free moment of my life. Yeah, they can have it. I've worked so hard to the point where the Fed contract, that's full time. And when I'm done, I like to go to the gym. So I like to have my spare time for real and to not be constantly bogged down. But I live for the creativity that I get to do when I do the TV one shows and I do the individual social media videos for clients. But I want to have space in my brain to do it, too. I'm covering STEM all day. Some days it's easy. I am a nerdy person. Some days it's very hard and my brain is fried. So all that dissecting and translating stuff into palatable words that my audience can read or watch. I'm not trying to burn myself out. I'm supposed to be enjoying this time right now. So, Oh, yeah. Listen, you are so smart to do that. And I would say to our young listeners, please try to always keep some time for your sanity, whether it's, as Nikki was saying, going to the gym, whether it's yoga or run, meditation, just a little Something. quiet time <laughs> because you are doing yourself a real disservice. There is no way that your best self can show up in you life. Really can't. No, you cannot. And I want to flash back, Nikki, mm-hmm. to when you were working in mm-hmm. some of these local TV newsrooms. And I worked in local TV newsrooms in Baltimore and, and Miami and then also in Columbia, South Carolina. What was that like? Every new place, every new market was like you had to make new friends every place. You had to reestablish yourself every place. It was almost down to a routine of move in. Okay, now let's find a church home so you know somebody around here. Alrighty, great. Figure out who the movers and shakers are again. You have to go out and be social. You have to work outside of work. It was work. You know, there was no free time for anything because you were always trying to cultivate contacts. And then I got into the fact of realizing that most of these are just a two-year contract that you signed up for, maybe the three-year contract that you signed up for. So knowing that your time is limited and how you have to space it out and pretty much give it your all that first year, once you hit that one-year mark, you really need to be like on a real reel. Like that reel needs to be ready to go on an unlisted link, ready to go to any manager shopping yourself around at the top of year one, because year two might be the end. That might be it. Wow. It's almost like being a congressperson, right? Where you're like, got a you got term limit. You got a term limit. <laughs> yes. And you got to be getting out there campaigning year two. Yes. Because you uh, may you not. You don't have any taste. You have no space to lose time. You, you're going to be surprised with a, hey, your position was not meant to be past two years. And then now what? You're going to sit there and have a mental breakdown, but you have no job. So why don't you just set it up now where it's like you were already looking. If they decide to keep you around, great. But if they don't, it's not like you haven't been courting potential replacements. And how did you look for the new jobs? What advice can you offer our young listeners about how to maybe navigate those early years of their career in terms of how to get their foot in the door? I was always on the DMA market chart trying to figure out. Oh, gosh, I forgot what it stands for, but it's how they rank the size of the television market. Oh, okay, yeah. And number one market is New York, New York, L.A., uh, Chicago, Philadelphia, you know, those top five, that thing. So I was always going by that. And my whole thing was my next market needed to be a bigger market than the one I was at. What I do tell people is that while some people will tell you be modest in your jumps, I'm actually probably going to be the dissenting voice on that and say, no, it's not even worth being modest anymore. None of them are really paying amazingly. So if you go out into the cut for like two years and you can parlay that into a job in Philly, 
go for it. Because that's how they're hiring any old way. They're hiring a lot of folks that are super cheap, lean and green. One person was on my assignment desk in Baltimore for the first two years that he was out of school. Then he went out to Memphis for three years and he came back to Washington, D.C. So that's why I'm telling people like, listen, y'all don't really need to be limiting yourself. Just go out there and you better flex and do the best job for that first shop because you can parlay that into a major market and you might be set. Now, just keep in mind that the reverse impact of that is that with quick ascension comes the opportunity for a quick drop too. Oh, yes. So it's like a roller coaster, whereas one bad move and yeah, you might go viral and you might have no job. We are on a cancel culture. So people get canceled very quickly when it comes to their job security. Another thing to keep in mind is that age-wise, things are changing a lot. And people are up there looking at these more mature, sage, veteran journalists on these anchor desks and like, well, I'll be working forever. Yeah. You look at them and then you look at the rest of the reporters on their, on their staff. Those anchors who have like the long in the tooth and the gray in the temples thing going on there, they're like few far between and they are a dying breed. Everybody else, you are always on the chopping block. So that's why I'm kind of encouraging people, max it out. When you go out of school, you get that first job. I want to see the most elaborate, wow me stand up. I want montage. You better shoot the crap out of every package you go out there and do because you're trying to do it like you about to do it for like CNN, for your MSNBC, for your Fox News. Like you can go national really quick. One of my mentees mm-hmm. got a national correspondent job fresh out of school. Fresh out of school, a national wow. correspondent job. Yeah, because I sat down with her trying to decide like, okay, so which job are we going to take? And we had a very detailed conversation about pretty much how to finesse and how to work this national correspondent job because we both looked at each other like, you know, you're not ready for this, but they're about to give this to you. So here's how not to mess it up. So she's excited about what she gets to do. She does it very well. And I said, this is how you're going to make the most of this amazing gift of an opportunity. But that's a mentor and tea conversation. Most kids are not going to have that. They might crash and burn on that first opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. You can't do it blindly. You need help. You need guidance. You need somebody who knows what the heck is about to happen in your career. But there's some very open-minded sage folks that they'll talk you through it. But a lot of folks that are more advanced in age might be like, I can't believe they're letting kids on TV nationally. So your safe spot might be somebody in their 30s, (laughs) in their 40s, maybe, but once you get to the 50s, they might be looking at me like, they shouldn't let you do this. And they're probably right. They shouldn't, but they are. So how are you going to make it work? That's right. So I wanted, <laughs> I wanted to tell you, I looked it up. DMA is designated yes. market area. Thank you. There you go. So I will include a link to that in the show notes. Before we flash way back and just quickly touch on your time at Syracuse, I want to ask you about something that is kind of part and parcel of Nikki Mayo news, and that is hashtag journal life. What is that hashtag? Why did you coin the phrase? And what does it mean to you? Journal life has always been my perception of how we tell our stories and also how the stories uplift primarily African-Americans, but the Pan-African diaspora is how I normally like label it. And it's primarily based off of a woman named Ida B. Wells Barnett. She had a long, illustrious career as an investigative journalist. She was one of those data-driven journalists. So she was crunching numbers early on in American history. And sadly, a lot of her work revolved around the lynchings of Black people, mostly in the South. But, you know, every once in a while, you got surprised by one up North. 
And these were based off of reports that were appearing in newspapers, maybe been glossed over, but they were happening. And what she did was put all that together to highlight that this is an atrocity that is happening in America at a time when people are supposed to be able to like start new lives in the reconstruction. So I like the fact that she was always shining light on this so that people couldn't act like, oh, it's all in your mind. It's not happening. She was like, no, it's happening. And here are the numbers to show that it is happening. Now, her and her family, they were attacked. And people who were supportive of her, they were also attacked for speaking out. But someone has to speak out to bring light to what's happening so that we can stop these things from happening. In an ideal world, we would not be reporting on lynchings in the 2019 and 2020. But sadly, we still have a lot of those which are either independent or state-sanctioned happening. So I base it off of that. I base it off of her legacy. She was always about facts will show light. And from that, we have the right as humans to make the right decisions, the decisions that embrace that we are allowed to be part of this American dream as well. There no life. Ida B taught me well is the complete thing. <laughs> I love it. And thank you. Uh, thank you so much for sharing that and raising awareness about that unbelievable journalist, remarkable American Ida B. Yeah. Wells. Now, the sad part about her history, by the way, is that sometimes it was this whole like the easy to understand history for black people. No one wants to talk about lynching to say, OK, well, black people are trying to make their way in the South as sharecroppers and the likes. So you're just going to ignore the fact that people like lives are being taken from them and that there's organized groups around that. And then even today, as journalists in newsrooms, people of color or not, when you're trying to tell people that these things are happening and you find yourself pushing back against managers that are saying, no, you got to prove it. My favorite was I spent a good year and a half trying to bring light to there is an emergence right now of white supremacist groups in the United States since 2016. And I was getting pushed and shut down each time. It's not nice to call people racist. How do you know this person's a white supremacist? I'm like, you can Google Richard Spencer. I'm not hiding this from you guys here. But no, that's not fair. Okay, well, all that cry, it's not fair and it's not nice turned into, oh, wow, little articles coming out of everything from Pointer to the Knight Foundation of maybe we should listen to black journalists when they were trying to tell us a whole bunch of white supremacist groups were popping up. <laughs> like we tried to tell you. So now we're dealing with these problems that we allowed to incubate and we did not report on. We were too busy doing the whole like, well, let's talk about other America, those who were overlooked, the Appalachian America, that type of stuff. And as a person who worked in Appalachia, I'm like, we've been covering it. I was covering it when I was in Appalachia. But to bring out the sob stories to try to justify hate, those are not really parallel people. We dropped the ball as an industry in 2016 and 2017. And I hope that people are seeing that it's important for us to be on our jobs. It doesn't behoove us to placate America. Let's tell America what's really happening so that they're more invested in making this end because your children have to grow up in this mess. Yes. Yet another reason we need more diversity in our newsrooms. So yep. absolutely. So Nikki, I have three final time for coffee questions. The first one is, I already mentioned you went to Syracuse. You were a double major, typical underachiever, a BS <laughs> in speech communications and African-American studies with a minor in Spanish. Did you know when you graduated what you were going to do with those degrees? Oh, yeah. I even interned at BET Nightly News with Tavis Smiley. I knew I was going to work at a national black press organization, and I came out of school doing that. So, yeah, mission accomplished. 
Wow. You are honestly in the minority I of know. the people I have interviewed. So oh, no. way to go. Power to you. But I will just say for our young listeners, that's very unusual. <laughs> I know. Yeah, but that's great. I'm so happy for you. So one of the questions I also try to ask all of my guests, Nikki, is if you could share a time in your professional life when you struggled, we have all had them. In my case, I was fired twice in my 40s. Those were more of the extreme, but they turned out to be some of the best things that ever happened to me. But if you could share a time in your life when you struggled and how you came through the other side. Oh, yeah. I was totally broke in Buffalo. That I love Buffalo people and everything, but I was so broke in that part of my career. If anything, it just taught me that I need to learn more about finances and also learn about investing because these jobs were just totally not paying. And I talked up that contract and still was struggling because it's New York and the taxes in New York are ridiculous. So, yeah, that would be the point of my life where I could say, yeah, the struggle was real. I was broke. I was getting paid full time, but I was broke. And how did you get through the other side? I ate bad food <laughs> and I got a roommate and that's how I powered through the end of my contract. And you got another job, presumably. Yep. I got to the two year mark, got that lovely conversation of it's a business decision and it's effective immediately. So bye. And it was at the two year mark exactly to the day. So it wasn't nothing malicious. They were just like, listen, that three year contract, it's actually going to exercise the outs in that two. So boom, bye. So I immediately had to find another job. And I had already been kind of poking around trying to look, find things that were back home in the Maryland area anyway. So yeah, I went from there to AOL Patch and came home. Fantastic. Well, not fantastic that you experienced it, but fantastic that you managed persevere. You got through it and it teaches grit and perseverance. And trust me, I was eating frozen Brussels sprouts on just regular old pasta noodles when I worked in hey. Columbia, South Carolina. You know, you got to do what you got to do. Amen. So final time for coffee question. If you could go back to Syracuse and do it all over again, but based on the wisdom you have now, Nikki, what advice would you give yourself? Take a management course or business course. I never saw myself as owning my own business and running an LLC, but now I am. And to see that there are spaces that when you think of like, what could be another career path? Education, I managed to do without all pedagogy, but I really felt like this aspect of my life, the business aspect of my life, I could have used so much more training for. And things that they don't teach you in college, fiscal management, we're taught that it's okay to be afraid of numbers, but we need to know how to survive as well. So yeah, if I went back, it would totally be a management style course or business course, something that prepares me to be the boss chick that I want to be. Yeah, I love it. The boss chick that you want to be. Nick yeah, Mayo. Her yet, but I'm working on it. I'm working on it. Yes, you are. And I just want to thank you so much, Nikki, for thank making you. time for coffee with me and the Time for Coffee community. Nikki Mayo News, everybody got to check it out. You are such a rock star, Nikki, and you have so much insight and you are still so young. I can't wait to see how your career continues to evolve. Well, thank you. I'm taking that as a blessing and I'm going to put it on my wall. (laughs) I am. Going on a dry erase. Yes, put it on the whiteboard. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to Time for Coffee, where the professionals in the jobs that most interest you 
always have time to grab coffee 24-7, no matter where you live. I have one quick favor to ask you. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to Time for Coffee. Thanks so much.